Welcome back to Ideas Into Action. My name is Hamza Khan and I understand it has been a minute since our last episode together. This is not season two. This is the beginning of a brand new adventure. This is episode 25 and we are going to go right into it with a returning guest, Herbert Louis. Herbert Louis is an editorial director and author. He has been writing since he was 15. His work has appeared in publications like Fast Company, Hype Beast, and Quartz, and he later joined Lifehacker as a staff writer. His company, Wonder Shuttle, has advised teams at organizations such as the City of Toronto, Shopify, and Skillshare on their writing and publications. If you recall from the first season of the podcast, he was one of our guests and we riffed about Kanye West for nearly two hours, among other things. Really enjoy talking to this guy in this conversation. We covered a lot of ground, his past, his present, his future projects. We really went deep into his latest book, which I have really been enjoying, has been very instrumental in me resuming this podcast. In fact, the book is titled Creative Doing. We also talked a little bit about generational trauma, death anxiety, purpose. I mean, it was a truly sprawling conversation, one that is so unique to my dynamic with Herbert. I'm just so grateful that he has agreed to be back on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. Herbert, my brother, welcome back. Welcome back to Ideas Into Action. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, man. Thanks, Hamza. It's great to be here again, and it's always a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Same here, same here. So uh, in our last episode, we attempted to speak about productivity, but got sidetracked hard in the best way possible. We ended up talking about Kanye West for nearly two hours. I will do my <laughs> best to parry any discussions about Kanye West, but I'm certain they will emerge organically. So let's just see at what point they do. And I figured we should start with the end. We're going to try and do something different with this new iteration of Ideas Into Action and really just cover uh, a full temporal gradient, if you will, starting with your past, working into your present, and then ending with your future trajectory. And we might time jump here and there, but I figured we would start with the end in mind. Let's assume, Herbert, you're 100 years old. You're going to make it all the way to 100. And we're at your Lifetime Achievement Award ceremony. First of all, where would you want it to take place? Madison Square Garden, Staples Center. I think if I had to pick, it might be it might be here in Hong Kong. I'm based here right now. Okay. It might be in New York or Toronto. So one Fantastic. of those three places that's I I it's hard to pick, but if you know, we'll roll a dice or something, you know, if we had to. All right. And, and in my mind, it's happening in a big stadium. It's happening in a, uh, you know, Kanye West. Oh, wow. There we go. Already. <laughs> two, two minutes in. It just, it just happened. I can't help myself in your presence, man. Um, I'm imagining that it's happening in a stadium. And at this point, Kanye West is, he's, he's long past. And we'll assume that he's uploaded his consciousness into the Neuralink cloud. And uh, he is. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're gonna. Have to I know, have to man. Slap, so I'm dying right now, bro. Oh man, oh, we man. promised this... ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, this was meant to happen. All right, all right, <laughs> fine. Kanye, well, welcome to the podcast, man. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining that he's he's appearing in 
like you know some sort of hologram or or we're all we're all tuned in the metaverse and he's reciting your lifetime achievement award introduction as you're rolling up to the stage in your wheelchair man what do you but want him to like say what this uh this lifetime achievement award ceremony is lit man i, lo I love it man i can't i can't wait to attend man <laughs> what what are you hoping he would say about your life and your career <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, I don't know yeah. if it's, uh, <laughs> it's just a hilarious. If we thing. ever do an animated component to this podcast, I, I can't wait to see the cartoon version of this. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, hopefully the laugh attack will end. So, oh, good. yeah. So I think I'd be happy just to be introduced as an author. I think mm -hmm. that, um, I think it's, the introduction is, is important. It's like the first impression for people who don't know you. But if it's your ceremony, I also think that the actual, like, whatever you say after the intro is, like, mm -hmm. probably the more substantive part. It's like a, you know, a commencement speech sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think just being introduced as an author, I'd be very happy with. And anything on top of that is, is extra gravy. Like, I think mm -hmm. that actually it would be, it would be interesting just to hear like whatever the person introducing it thought I did. Mm -hmm. Right. I think mm -hmm. that hearing their opinion of it would be probably more valuable than just me doing the whole, here's my bio sort of thing, which happened. Absolutely. Lot as well. I, I completely get that. And, uh, you know, I, I love that you've, you've still focused nonetheless on, on author authorship as the core the core idea or the core accomplishment or the the essence of who you are it's your creative expression it's clearly something that you're uh, passionate about it's something that you possess many gifts within that realm within that arena um, and it's it's how I came to know you I mean many many years ago we were both collaborators um, for a blog project through Adobe, the 99U project. And I remember reading your stuff thinking, wow, I mean, this is a, a level of writing that's clear, that's helpful, that I aspire to uh, uh, write someday in that vein. And, and I remember emulating your, your work and uh, I've continued to do so uh, over the almost decade that we've known each other. And it's manifested most recently in this book over here, Creative Doing, your most recent project, which Wow, man, I got to say, I sat down to read this a couple of weeks ago, and I finished it in one sitting. I mean, from page wow. one, I was riveted. This book is a absolute masterpiece. And I'm not just saying this as your boy, not just saying this as a fan of yours. I'm saying that objectively, if I were to receive this, and I knew nothing about Herbert, I would think that this book is um, one of the most important books for, for not just productivity, but for creativity, unleashing creative force. I mean, you, you are helping people tap into the creative life force of the universe itself. I mean, whoever, whoever you want to say that is, you know, Allah, Yahweh, Ewa, Gaia, Jesus, this is it, man. Like this, this is the book. This is a tome. This is a masterwork. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and go deep into the process of writing this book, not just the process, but even the intention. So if we may, let's break this down in terms of the time, the energy, the attention that went into this, where, where did this start? What, what was the, the genesis for this project? So first of all, thanks so much for the kind words. It means a lot. 
I'm probably going to throw the blurb up on the on the page or something because that was super nice of you. Um, the the genesis of of the project really started. I mean, this was 28 years in the making, right? In many wow. ways, uh, I think that really my obsession with the creative process was more deliberate. Like probably just after college, like maybe around 21, 22, I started interviewing a lot of uh, recording artists who would swing by Toronto or occasionally Montreal as well. Um, so some folks like Post Malone or Ty Dolla Sign or Asap Berg and my friends and I actually would go and film these interviews and I would do a bunch of research and ask them a bunch of these questions about their creative process. And I think the driving force for me was always because I felt like I I had doubts about whether I was creative or not and whether I was mm. actually cut out for this or not. And wow. I really didn't think I was, I'm gonna be honest with you. And I think, I mean, I'm happy to dive into that later, but that was sure. really the, the whole premise of this book. I wanted to write the book that I would have read and wanted to read at that time. And wow. so, you know, there is a lot of research just through these interviews and then talking to authors kind of along the same vein. And then really, it was a coincidence that in March 2020, basically, I was preparing to take a sabbatical. I wouldn't have used those words necessarily at, at the time, but really it was a sabbatical and I didn't have a definitive date. I didn't even know what I was going to do. I just knew that, hey, I have this work that I'm going to wrap up soon and I'm going to have, I'm going to make a lot more time to basically try to figure out what I want to do next and not what the market was telling me, not what was most lucrative or anything like that, but just to try a bunch of things that I wanted to try. And this book was the second or third thing really. And it, I basically scoped the project out as saying, Hey, I want to write something that's like 10, maybe 15,000 words, which is a pretty short book. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had these like other short books on my shelf to reference, <clears throat> excuse me. And then basically I, I wrote a bunch of notes, maybe around like 200 or so of these note, note cards, like four by six yeah. index cards. And then I compiled it into nine chapters and right. it was even just maybe like nine chapters of a thousand words each, which actually sounds very reasonable and doable. And then an intro and a conclusion, you expanded a little more. I sent it over to some friends to read. I also interviewed some artists who I really respected mm -hmm. uh, specifically for this book. And and then that's it. I, I put it onto a PDF and I shipped it. And I independently published it. So mm -hmm. one of the, it's actually this is important. One of the big reasons why I didn't do this earlier, right? It sounds really simple, right? And it really took two, three, maybe four months to do. The reason I didn't do this earlier was because I was waiting throughout most of my 20s to be in the right spot, quote unquote, the right wow. spot yeah, with yeah. a really good book agent with like tens of thousands of male yeah. subscribers and audience and things like that and social. And also just looking for co-authors even people who could give me either a reputation boost or clout that would be able sure. to bring their audiences so we could hit the new york times bestselling list or whatever right yeah and wanted to game it yeah 
Right, exactly. And so I was doing everything related to writing a book except for writing a book. And so that was, it really, that was a big creative block for me actually. And so I I was really excited to get this out the door. Um, One of the premises of the book is that quantity, quantity allows quality to emerge. And I actually had written an article on the topic maybe in 2013 or so around the time Medium was really just starting to emerge itself. And it it actually really resonated. I think over 200,000 people have read that article, which was still Amazing. not enough to get me a traditional book deal, but it was enough to kind of be a starting point and be like, okay, right. cool. I have one thing at least that I think people find interesting. Maybe let's cobble like eight other ones together and see what comes out of it. Wow, wow, wow. There, there, you, first of all, um, congratulations on getting this book out into the world. As, as a fellow author, I just know how labor-intensive this is and how much of your own um, shit, for lack of a better term, you have to work through in order to, to put something out like this into the world. It's fascinating to me that you were doing everything but writing this. Um, you know, that's that's something as part of the the, the writing process that I don't that I don't think gets talked about a lot. Um, the hesitation, the the desire to make this perfect, and I think you know you you and I both have marketing brains, and and we think about the the product, we think about the design, we think about the reception, and then we try to create something that will meet that moment. But I love what you said earlier about how you wanted to write this book that you needed. Um, Talk to me more about that. Like, why did you need this book? And what would the process have been like, or what would the experience have been like if you were to have read a book like Creative Doing, written by somebody else? How would that have helped you to work through your hesitations about putting the book out? For sure. So I think there's two prompts, actually, from Creative Doing that come to my mind right now. The first one is Mm -hmm. remove imaginary barriers to your work, Yeah, which is exactly fitting in with the whole like wanting to write a book and doing thing everything except for writing the book. Yeah, I think yeah, that actually yeah. it's so easy it sounds so silly, right? But it's so easy to get caught up in that for weeks, months and maybe even years. Dude. And so if 100%. you're listening to this, maybe this is a wake up call, right? If I've actually had people really close to me ask me like, "Hey, like when you, when am I going to see this book?" like throughout a lot of those years. And so it's I actually think those were really helpful calls to action rather than, mm-hmm. you know, some people might interpret those things as being annoying or whatever. I think those are really great calls to action and holding you accountable for what you yeah. actually really want to do. People want to see you do it. They want to support you. They want to see your work. The other prompt that actually had come to my mind is actually kind of a flip of that. It's working on on your creativity without your equipment. So I think the actual wow. prompt is do your work without your equipment. Yes, and I remember that. The reason I say that came to mind was because even though I wasn't technically writing the book, I was writing the book. And yep. <laughs> I had to go through and live through all of these experiences in order for something like this to be to be allowed to emerge basically. And mm-hmm. And so actually, the first version of the book came out in November 2020. I realized my answer to your earlier question wasn't complete. Um, I reached out to a publisher 
called Holloway in yep. 2021, mainly because actually the, the first version of the book was really a, a digital book. It was a PDF. Um, and it, the reading experience wasn't great. It was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm reading like, what is this? A digital version of paper? Like mm -hmm, this isn't great. Mm -hmm. And so my, my other friend Peter actually had suggested, hey, is there a better way you can use technology to make a better digital book? And I knew Holloway was, was really, uh, that was their strong suit. And so I mm -hmm. reached out to them and they saw the book, they really liked it and, and we signed. And now the book is out in print and available on Amazon, but also it's available in the Holloway Reader, which is really interesting and exciting to me. And the process went completely the opposite of what I would have thought. It, was, it wasn't it was get the deal and then write the book. It was write the book and then you get the deal. And, yes. and so I think what I wish I would have learned earlier was even if whether you're on salary or we're working with a publisher or whatever it is, you're actually working independently in mm. many senses of the word. And by that, I mean that mm. even if someone is paying you, if you're not performing, you're going to get cut. And so right. it's, it's kind of actually, you have to build these skill sets, whether, you know, you called it um, marketing brain, which I really appreciate it, whether it's marketing your work or figuring out how to do your work without an advance and uh, how to do your research without the support of a publisher or without the mm -hmm. support of a team behind you, you still need to figure out how to do all of that at some point. Because even if you sign with a the publisher, there's a chance that they won't give you all the publicity that you want, or they won't give you all the administrative support that you want. So that might mean even building out your own team and processes and things like that. Wow. Uh, and and there's so much here, right? And, and I think that you selected such a such a powerful title inherent in the title is a bias toward action. It's not creative thinking. It's creative doing. Um, and I love that. For me, it has been a very activating book. It has really gotten me to shake off the cobwebs or dust off the cobwebs and shake off the dust. Um, with regards to this podcast itself, I mean, I'm reapproaching this podcast now with uh, a level of intentionality and uh, embrace of the creative process that was inspired by this book. It's even gotten me thinking about my own speaking career. It's gotten me thinking about almost every aspect of my career right now and wanting to do several things. And I've, I've highlighted them. Some of my favorite passages in this book or some of my favorite sections in this book are, uh, for example, Lose Yourself. I love this. You wrote over here, Fully Inhabiting the Moment. During that tiny dot of time after you've pressed record is what makes it eternal. If, like Frank Sinatra, you sing it like you'll never sing it again. If, like Frank, you sing it like you have never before. And you wrote over here, this philosophy is applicable to your craft. You can pretend like it's the last time you're doing your work, the last chance you might be able to contribute to this piece of work. When I read that, I mean, I stood up and I just walked around my condo. I was like, wow, I have been waiting to hear this for a long time. I didn't know I needed to hear this, but this is... Um, an encapsulation of, of my feelings of my work. We might never do another podcast episode again, but I have to approach this with that energy, even though very likely we will record episode two, episode three, but I have to approach this if I want to do my best work, like it's the only podcast episode I will ever record. When you were putting this book together, it felt like to me as, as a reader that this was all of your best ideas in one, one book over here. Did did you feel the same way? Did you feel like I've given everything to this book or did it automatically create 
the urge to work on a sequel. Are you working on a sequel? For sure. So I definitely think this was a starting point. And wow. I think that I gave it I gave it a lot and I also lived a lot. Mm -hmm. The truth is though, I've got another like thread in my notes with like 200 index cards and I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do with it, but there's something really interesting there. And then actually at my blog, I'm also writing a series of posts that I'm planning on maybe packaging together into a a short ebook or something. Um, So I actually think that uh, it's very much a starting point and I would love to put more work out there. I think this is just the wow. beginning of what I have to offer. And um, and I really think that there's there's a lot more where it came from. So I'm really excited to get there, that, get it out there in the world. Wow, that is, that is so exciting to hear. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fellow junkie, for lack of a better word, when it comes to books on productivity or works on productivity, creative process, peak performance, um, you know, we, we know what the general ideas are out there and we see them recur across books, across different thought leaders, but there were truly novel ideas in here, truly new ideas, new ways of looking at the world and approaching work. I mean, I was stunned. This feels like a complete work. It's timely and timeless at the same time. Um, unbelievable. I mean, I, I, the, the phrase that I wrote down in my notes in preparation for this was it has big religious tome energy. Let me explain for a second. <laughs> I, I, so, so I'm, I'm right now for my next project, I'm, I'm rereading uh, several key religious books, the, the, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Bible. And uh, in some of my understanding of these books and the way that scholars speak about them, they say that every chapter is like a, it's self-contained and it references other chapters. So if you read one chapter, if you read one verse, it, it, it harnesses the essence of the entire book. And I guess in hip hop speak, that would be like, it's, everything's a hook. And that's how I felt going through this. I was like, wow, you can pick up, at, you can drop in at any point in this book and it is valuable, it is self-contained and you will get the essence of the book from any single chapter. And I love how the chapters are, they're small, they're very digestible and you do this amazing thing where you flip the prompts, which I thought was really exciting because I was actually using your prompts and moving back and forth through the book. What was the, the logic of, of creating this dynamic re- reading experience? What, 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 what was your, your thought process around making this something that you can flip through and revisit in, in a very fluid way? I don't think this book is meant to be read start to finish. At least that was my perception of it. No, it's definitely not. For me, a, a big part of the way I read is I don't read front to back most of the time. And I love like just skimming the table of contents, seeing what would be interesting there. And if there's something I want to pull from the book, then I'll jump into that chapter. I also check out the index and the glossary and see if there's like specific characters or places or themes and ideas that really interest me. Because life is really short and there's a lot of books out there as you and I both mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So, the, so it's funny, I mentioned two versions of this book, right? There's the independently published one and there's the one, I, the current one, Creative Doing, that I worked on with Holloway. So the independent one actually was entitled, There is No Right Way to Do This, Yes, which is a mouthful, but it really was how I wanted the book to be read as well, which is you can just kind of drop in at any point, start from anywhere and pick up and then, and go wherever you want to go next. 
because there really is no right way to do this. And we kind of snuck the phrase into creative doing as yep. well. At some point we mentioned it, mm -hmm. the creative doing has more structure, which I really appreciate. And that's thanks to Rachel Jepson, who's this really great editor and organizing force for the book. She worked with me a lot on the development, on its structure. Um, and obviously naturally I'll be proofreading and, and, you know, actually contributing a, a, a very substantive, like, some very important sentences and key key like uh, moments that tie everything together. So mm -hmm. um, I I need to definitely um, you know shout her out and her really important work there. Mm -hmm. The I wanted this to be really valuable for people with really little time, like less than an hour a yeah. day, like mm -hmm. half an hour a day, even fifteen minutes a day. I want you to be able to pick this book up and then yeah. read a prompt. You know, you might you might be wherever on the bus, in the bathroom, wherever you read right. and and then go out and like sit at your table or sit in your waiting room or sit at the library and just do. And wow. actually, it's funny. I didn't intend for this to happen, but uh, my friend Jason Shen and and his friend Alyssa are doing a creative doing challenge. So one challenge every day for 75 days. And they're documenting it at Twitter. And it's just fascinating to see how that turned out. And I mean, it's got my my brain kind of flowing with other ways to to um, get these ideas out there. But it's funny how how it's funny what's emerged from this. And it mm -hmm. was entirely unplanned. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um that that's interesting. I'm I, I would like to, to get the link from you later to to find your friends who are doing these challenges. There's I was thinking about that while I was going through this book. And by the way, I ordered a second copy. I think I don't think I hit uh, checkout yet. I'm getting it off Amazon. I really should get it off your website instead, though. Make sure most of the money comes directly to you. Um, and I want to get the extra book just because I was starting to take notes in this one. And I was like, I'm defacing the book over here. This is the coffee table edition. I need to get a workbook version of this where I'm just scribbling and layering my layering my thoughts into it. Did you have a person in mind when you were writing this book? So for example, when I wrote The Burnout Gamble or Leadership Reinvented, like I, I developed composites of people in my life that I wanted to write this book for. How did you approach the audience for this book? And, and you alluded to people who are pressed for time, um, which I appreciate. I mean, I was able to read this book in three hours. I think I just sat down and in three hours, I crushed the entire book. Wow. Who did you have in mind when you were writing this book? For sure. So I had, I had four audiences in mind when I was Interesting. writing this book. There's the content creators who basically make and publish content online for either part-time or uh, full-time or as a hobby. I've, I had, and I, I know that um, they experience a sense of burnout because they need to mm -hmm. meet these vast quantities and also they're they're subject to the whims and tastes of whatever's current and popular because they need to get a certain number of views and i know that because i've experienced that role before i've tried doing that with medium and so that's one audience another audience was the independent creative and basically you know these freelancers or professionals who were working as entrepreneurs and as experts basically 
Um, and I knew that they also would probably want to renew their creativity from doing all this client work. It's, you know, some of it is great, but some of it probably isn't so great. And they're like, okay, I either want to try something new because this craft that I picked isn't that great anymore. Or I want to rediscover and get a new spark and new air into this craft that I've kind of lost touch with and I've made my business. Then there's the hobbyist who mm -hmm. basically w worked full time but wanted to do a creative hobby outside of that. And so it might be, let's say, someone working in marketing who wanted to pick up like improv comedy or something. Right. And then the fourth was very much the in-house creative. So someone who worked on a creative team and needs to collaborate with a lot of people. So someone may be working in content or in copywriting and design, um, even in software engineering or product, wow. and very much wanted to apply creativity inside the workplace for better problem solving. And so I've been there too. Like I've been, and the, the caveat is I've, I've experienced all of these different roles right. before yeah, in my life. Have. And mm -hmm. so I was like, huh, I definitely could have used these, a book like this at all of those times. And wow. so um, in that sense, I've, a part of me is, in, is with each of these audiences. And that's, I think, why I also could understand and feel the pains that I wanted to solve for. And your, your soul, your, 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 your signature is on every, is, in, is it within every chapter and in, in every line. I mean, your personality is very rich and it, it emerges through this in a way that I, I truly appreciate um, as somebody who enjoys your writing, as somebody who loves brevity and, and actionable insights and, and just content that, that is useful. But also, I really appreciated the pop culture references. It's a very rich text in terms of hip hop history, but also just history in general over here. Um, I could talk to you about the book for this entire podcast, and, and I just want to say as we sort of move away from the discussion of the book temporarily to talk about a, a few other things that even though you've written this primarily for four creative audiences, let me tell the readers, whether you work in HR, whether you work in leadership, management, whether you, know, you, you work in the trades, no matter what you do, I think this book is still useful for you. And you don't even have to read between the lines. Just apply this definition of creativity to your life. I mean, I think Steve Jobs, late Steve Jobs said this, creativity is just connecting things. Um, it's about making connections between seemingly disparate points. Some of the most creative people I know work in some of the most traditional um, jobs. And, and this will be a prompt for you, I promise. Because it's, it's already inspiring parts of my life that you wouldn't think are traditionally creative. It's really inspiring me to think differently about my work. So um, fascinating, fascinating stuff. There's a chapter in here about Virgil, or there's several mentions about Virgil, but there's one section in particular that I was, I was struck by. Uh, he has been an instrumental part of both of our careers. We've been inspired by Virgil. What did his passing mean to you? Oh, my God. What, what did it do for you? as a creative, as, as, as a person. For sure. Did you stop, and did you stop buying Louis bags? <laughs> 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 Sorry, man, too soon, too soon. <laughs> For sure. Um, so <clears throat> Virgil Abloh was an incredible, incredible creative. I think mm -hmm. that I've, I've actually had the pleasure of acquainting with him, right? Not actually meeting mm -hmm. him. We're not friends or we weren't friends or anything, but like hearing him talk, and getting to ask him a couple of questions here and there 
it was it was so inspiring. And actually, most of the stuff that I learned from him or about him were not from him. Like it was through interviews or it was through lectures, and it was through podcasts, not dissimilar to this one. And his work was just so. First of all, he was the embodiment of quality emerging from quantity, right? Like this right. guy made so much stuff. It was like 30 ideas a day, did not have a yeah. full-time job, was one of his mantras. And he also used his starting points really well to think that Off-White emerged from like the momentum he got off one t-shirt and going to get it screen printed or yep. a supply of products that he bought and ended up making a dead stock at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, screen printing on that and then like marking it up and selling it again. I think that it was so simple. And it, there are a lot of people who have the opinion that Virgil was very derivative or very um, unoriginal in some senses of the word. Wow. But I, I definitely that, yeah. think that's not true. And I think that. No, not at all. Yeah. I think that like, especially if you look at his later work, it, it ends up the evolution is so prominent that it ends up being really different or saying something completely different. And he puts it Mm -hmm. in so many different contexts and spaces. Um, And lastly, he really just had this growth mindset that made whoever was listening, you, me, um, that whatever you want to do is actually possible. And so that ultimately was this spirit of like what I wanted to put into this book as well. I want to flip the question back over to you too, though. I I know you know you're sure, you are a, sure. a big fan of Virgil as well. So Absolutely. curious to hear your thoughts. Um, Virgil, like like Kanye, gave me permission to be creative. I mean, I didn't think that this was a, a space that I could be in. I come from a very traditional background. Uh, parents were very big on on traditional education. Dad specifically gave me three career paths: doctor, lawyer, engineer. Right, um, the, the 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 immigrant first generation career trinity, if you will. Uh, But I was always creatively inclined. I was inspired by pop culture. I was inspired by the media and and, and all of the cultural inputs that we were receiving while growing up. And it wasn't until Kanye West showed up with the the pink polo and the backpack where I thought to myself, I don't have to be a, um, you know, a a braggadocious, borderline, no, in hindsight, sort of toxic 50 cent persona, gangster rapper to access this world of creative expression. I can do this as a nerd. I can do this as somebody meek, a geek at the time. And then Virgil shows up and is Kanye's creative partner. And I started to realize that so much of Kanye's creativity and creative drive and force was influenced by his relationship with a peer, Virgil. And then when I started to see Virgil's work in fashion, um, and now it's, it's impossible to walk through any mall, walk down any series of stores, especially on the higher end luxury goods and not see the influence of Virgil everywhere. I mean, Virgil has created um, an aesthetic in my, in, in my mind um, that, that people are, are clamoring for. So, so, so to see something like that was very powerful for me as somebody who feels like he has a lot to share, uh, has a lot of creative capacity, knowing that Virgil did it at the highest possible level has extended the runway of what's possible for me. Um, we lost him too soon, man. We lost him for way sure. too soon, in my opinion. Completely agree. On that note, I mean, this is a, a strange segue, but a book that you recommended the last time we chatted, it didn't start with you, has been a complete game changer for me. It has sent me in into a very strange headspace, um, a very fulfilling, sprawling, chaotic, but deeply fulfilling headspace. And I'm 
I've been thinking a lot about death. I've been thinking a lot about ancestry. I've been thinking a lot about generational trauma. I completed the book. Uh, I want to say thank you for recommending that book to me. Probably one of the most important books I have ever read. I think will have changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. What did that book do for you, man? Okay. So, Hamza, I got to be real with you. I didn't read the book yet. <laughs> wow, bro, you're missing out, <laughs> so, man. I know, I know. I will say, um, so, so I will say that I've like opened it up and kind of yeah. gotten really familiar with it. And I want to hear it. what you have to say because clearly it's made an impact on you. So mm -hmm. tie up there. Sure. I think for me as a slight tangent, what my original plan was to read the book before this. And what ended up happening was I read a fair chunk of this other book called The Courage to be Disliked. And I'm yep, happy maybe we can trade too. notes on it or something yep. like that. But I definitely want to hear your thoughts on on the book and hearing maybe like what you got from it and how how you applied it as well. Yeah, for sure. You you and I have riffed quite a bit on our experiences growing up as as the child of, of, of children of immigrants. Um, you know, our, our diversity and intersectionality and how that influences our work, confidence, etc. This book encouraged me to investigate my core complaint, the thing that agitates my soul. And it then encouraged me to look up my family tree and see how this is, or these core complaints or how these themes might have played out in different different ways. And I was able to find the through line in my life as it extends through different generations. I was able to find like my reason for being, which I'm still articulating right now. I have to go through, and, and I love that book, by the way, because it's very similar to Creative Doing in that it's very exercise-driven, very action-oriented. In fact, there's like a, uh, an additional PDF that you get with the book where you can fill out the worksheet. And, and I'm halfway through that right now. But more or less, the theme that is emerging in my life is one of oppression. It's one of tyranny. It's something that my great-grandparents experienced. It's something that my grandparents experienced, something that my parents experienced. And I have been experiencing throughout my life in different ways, uh, either through bad bosses, either through the yoke of capitalism, either through financial insecurity or... Um, you know, even just systemic racism that might be uh, affecting my way, affecting my life in ways that I know and I don't know as well. So that was really cool for me to just really lock in on what the theme is and understand how it might be affecting my my decisions, knowingly or unknowingly. So I want to thank you for that. It's it's again, I feel very tender and and vulnerable having read that book. I feel like I'm going through a metamorphosis right now. So, so thank you. I'm, I'm, I can't wait until you read the book and I want to hear your thoughts on it. And we'll have to get you back for another episode just to go deep on that one. But my reason for awesome. asking that question, you know, dovetails into the next one, which is what is your purpose? What gets you up out of bed every morning? So we understand your past. We understand this great project that you put together. What, what, what animates you? What is the, the, the life force, the, the, the purpose that is, that is giving you momentum in life? For sure. So there are a lot of reasons to get out of bed in the morning. I don't know that there's one. I think one of the things I most look forward to is definitely it's writing a blog post right now. And I started writing a blog post every day, maybe since like mid-February or something. I think that exploring new ideas and expressing them and sharing them really, really it gives me a lot of energy. And so even though it might take 15, 20, 30, 40, 60 minutes, it ends up 
actually like I feel very complete for having done it that day. If I do more than one, even better. But also, if I don't do it, it feels like I haven't showered yet. You know, it's、mm. like oh, like it doesn't feel right, sort of thing. Yeah, and I、so、haven't done that thing. Yeah, right, exactly. And so that's really what gets me going.、Um, I think that、uh, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of other things that are really exciting and that I'm happy for and happy to be a part of. But ultimately, I think that that's probably one of the main things、um, that get me really excited. And so I think that creativity is this really important topic and subject. And I think the quest to become more connected with with the topic and developing my expertise there, and also my own creative practice, is、um, is one of the huge purposes as well. And and what does a a perfect day look like for you in terms of productivity that will help you to reach that purpose? For sure. So, I'm actually, I've learned to become very adaptable. I guess. Like I don't know that. So I'll have an i let's say an ideal day. Right? Would be hey, I wake up, I make breakfast, I shower, I. Write for four hours, or I research and write. Probably take some notes and then write and so on and so forth. Then I eat lunch. Then I'm like, you know, hanging out with my fiance or like talking to friends or whatever it is, catching up, maybe doing some business. And then there's dinner, and then it's just like hang out after that. Like it's just、mm-hmm. chill. Like that's pretty much one version of the ideal day. Now, that being said, if every day was like that, it would get like kind of monotonous. So、sure. I really, actually, I used to really hate like interruptions, right? Like, oh, this isn't like I need to、yeah. be my butt in the seat at this table at this time. Really structured, and I actually really have, especially maybe it's the pandemic talking. I don't know, but I really love moving around now and going to different places and spaces.、Mm-hmm. And you know, even if I'm waiting for an appointment and I'm in the waiting room, I'm thirty minutes early. Like having my phone and being able to write inside that, or、nice. a notebook and a pen, or、uh, I mean, asking the someone else for a paper and pen, right? Like these are really easy things that can unblock and can also you can paint with on the canvas of your time, right? Like the, there's like a lot of this.、Um, there's a lot of these barriers we kind of put up and imagine, and I love adapting around whatever ends up happening throughout the day. I love that. Wow, that sounds、uh, like deep satisfaction. Just being able to create freely and and just be be present with your ideas and and express them in ways that just feel right. And and that day sounds perfect to me. You use your the best best hours of your morning to be creative to to write. And then you just get to relax and 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 allow your mind to drift a little bit and recharge yourself so that you're not experiencing that <clears throat> monotony as 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 you mentioned. Have you have you thought about you know what happiness means to you? Is that a definition that you've arrived at yet, or is that something that you're still developing? For sure, I think that. So I think that happiness is kind of like a butterfly, right? Like you can't really you can try chasing and and. Pursuing and catching a butterfly, but you're probably just better off like sitting there and letting it come、mm. to you, because you'll get way more tired than the butterfly will, or it'll just fly、yeah. away. Right? You can't even get it、Beautiful. too high up. Wow. So、That's、poetic, man. Right, and so I think that 
my definition of happiness is very much like being present, being as mindful as possible. And, and by that, I don't mean like forcing it. I mean, like actually not forcing anything like, mm-hmm. you know, being in touch with my breath, being in touch with my feet on the ground and like what's happening right now. And, um, I think that's really when I feel the best, right? I don't know. If, I don't know if happy is necessarily the right word, but I definitely don't feel bad. And I feel like, I feel like connected with myself almost and and able to express that to other people, how I feel. Um, and so we can all work together. And so I think that one of the misconceptions I had about happiness was conflating it with all these other emotions, right? Conflating right. it with, let's say excitement. That's actually really different. And I, I know habitually, and I still kind of experience this today, where I use excitement to resist or escape a negative emotion that's not happy. That's like way more difficult to deal with. So, you know, if I'm experiencing doubt or a sense of failure and discouragement because I'm experiencing rejection or whatever it is, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just check Twitter right now or let me just go on YouTube. (laughs) Let me get that hit, that (laughs) dopamine hit. Right, exactly. Which is really exciting, right? Yeah, and yeah. It feels great, but then it 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 comes and it goes, and then you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, well, I'm running out of distractions, so I better go find another distraction. It's not sustainable. And that's right. It's not sustainable, yeah. and it ends up. I don't really feel happy when I do that, and so I think that not resisting the negative emotions makes it feel actually ironically less bad. Like you're just accepting it and you're letting it happen you're not rushing it out you're just all right cool i'm just gonna experience this i'm gonna see what this feels like and and uh and then just kind of sit with it and see what Mm. it's trying to tell you right i think that uh from a from a teleological perspective like every emotion is trying to serve a purpose and it's trying Mm -hmm. to help you do something um and maybe those things are are helpful or maybe they're just here to protect you from some something you learned before, right? And that you don't really need help with anymore. But it's important to understand these things. Do you do you have any specific uh, like prompts, mantras, practices that get you into the headspace where you can be at your best, be your most present and creative? I think that so lose yourself i think is a little bit later in the book but i think it's Mm -hmm. really valuable right it's really like hey letting go and just like focusing on the process i have like a handful of prompts that really are a call to action for that and one of the i think it's in the second chapter a couple of them actually are one is like relaxing expectations and the other is relinquishing results and uh and but they both hit the same theme which is hey don't worry too much about how things are going to turn out. Focus on what's right in front of you right now and and make it the best way you know how to right now in the time that you have. And that's more than enough. You know, like it might turn out great. It might turn out poorly. You don't really get to control the outcome of it, but you right. do get to control how you're going to show up and how much of yourself you're going to put into this thing. And maybe... You don't feel like it that day. So you just kind of, you know, scribble it out and then mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. it, right? But you did what you, you did it. Like you showed up and that's the right. point, whether it's your hobby or your job or, you know, something that helps you with your work, like you showed yeah. up and 
And that's really, uh, I think that's really the best that you can do every day. And if you show up every day and write one page or draw one drawing for a year, that's like 365 things. And one of them is going to be good. You know, I mean, even for a month, 30 things, one of them is going to be good. You don't know which one, but one of them is going to be good. And, and that's why, man, I, I, I truly appreciate you articulating that idea, putting that in the book and making that accessible to us, but also you being on this podcast right now. I'm dusting off the cobwebs um, after two and a half years from our last time recording an episode of Ideas Into Action. And I'm aware that I'm not as good as I could be as a host right now, but this is a process and I intend to show up. I intend to continue doing this in perpetuity. And, you know, when we reconvene for episode 100, episode 1000. I mean, we'll look back at this and be like, holy smokes, we've come a long way. And you gave me permission in one of your chapters over here, chapter 7.5, set a 10-day quota. I love this. It says, 100 days can sound like too much of a commitment, so I suggest starting with 10. If you feel on day 10 that it's manageable, then continue to day 100. And I read that and I thought to myself, wow, I'm obsessing over quality too much. Let me just focus on consistency and then start to work on quality. Could you talk to that? Could you talk about the relationship between obsessing over details and quality and just uh, the manageability of that process? I mean, if, if people had to prioritize consistency or quality, where would you suggest they, they start and how, how should they navigate that relationship? For sure. So <laughs> quality is ultimately the goal, right? I think everyone mm-hmm. who who even does anything really like wants to do it well for it's just almost like a human instinct in a way, especially if you like the thing that you're doing. So from there, you know that you want to make something really good. The challenge is quality. Actually, a lot of times the way we think about it or the way we use it, we use it as an excuse to procrastinate and we use it as an excuse not to do something because we're scared or because we're not ready, we don't feel ready, we feel doubt, we feel just like there's more to be done before actually starting. Right. Which is a very normal feeling, right? It's like, hey, I'm really stressed from the prospect of having to start this, so I just decide I'm not going to. So the way around that is to actually, is to get started. And to know, hey, mm-hmm. quality is going to happen and emerge from whatever I do, as long as I do it consistently, or as long as I do a bunch of it, right? You can make, I mean, you can write a hundred book titles and think all of them are really bad, but eventually you're going to, okay, the next day you're going to wake up, you're going to pick 10 of them out and be like, oh, okay, these 10 are actually not bad. You're going to yeah. talk to two of your friends and be like, oh, actually these two are awesome. Wow. Go figure, right? So that's the little known secret in the creative world that is i just find everywhere it's in recording arts it's in visual arts it's in screenwriting it's everywhere it's just Mm -hmm. make a bunch of stuff and then good things will emerge from that um one other point actually a couple other points sure so there's a prompt called do it in 20 seconds and it's basically, okay. or find a 20 second version of your creative operation. And it's basically like, yeah. complete that's your operation there. in seconds. That's what right. Is, complete right? your yeah. operation in seconds. Thank you. I love that. And that's there because on, there'll be days where you're like, I can't even do like five minutes of this thing. It's just too heavy. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Do it for 20 seconds. Cause that mm-hmm. way time is never a barrier. Yeah. You literally could wake up 
and just be like, oh, I didn't do it yet today. You could do it and then like go back to bed or you can do it exactly. right before bed or you can do it right when you wake up. Like time does not have to be a barrier here. No. And so that's yeah. really um, one of the most valuable things I think that will happen as a byproduct if, if you choose to read this book is you'll start to see time as your friend and as mm-hmm. as a you know, I mentioned a canvas, but it's really a a raw material that you work with and you, you don't have to work against like it's it's your friend and you can have a good relationship with it. There's a couple of prompts later in the book. One is obsess over the details and then the yep. literally the next <laughs> the one is flip. stop obsessing. Yeah. I was and confused because... about I'm confused by that, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's because like for people who who aren't familiar with quality yet or don't know how to Mm -hmm. pursue it, obsession is really what gets you to quality, first of all, right? Sweating the details. I read this quote one time that said, an app is just a collection of details. And actually everything is just a collection of details, right? This computer, the the software we're using. details, right. right. And so obsessing over it is a good thing fundamentally because you care. Now the flip side to that is if you obsess too much, you end up caring way too much and not, you're never going to release anything exactly. because it's it's too difficult to choose. You're like, oh my gosh, this thing has to be perfect now. I've right. sat on it for a year. Right, right. It has, it has to be worth that year of sitting. And so it's not true, right? The point is you need to develop the counter muscle as well, which is learning to let go of the obsession and to let go of how people are going to receive your work. And instead, just to do your best. And, um, and to know that once you've obsessed about it and, and like worked your way to a place where it's acceptable to you at that point, it's ready to go. And then you can improve it later the same way. Maybe you work with a partner to expand Mm -hmm. and revise it, or you do it yourself and you ship a new update and, um, and then you, you just keep going, right? Like the, the creative process is never done. It's just, you can always do a new version of whatever work you're releasing. Right. Yeah. It might be a lot of work, but if you really want to do it, then that's an option available to you. 100% man. I I couldn't agree with you more, especially in those areas and domains of my life where I've achieved some level of mastery. I'm actually doing less over time because in the beginning there was a lot of doing, there was a lot of output generation. And then as I obsessed over the details and refined my process, I found that I needed to output less and less and less. Um, and, and that was an, an idea that I think I found echoed in one of your most recent blog posts. I think your last one, uh, it was called the Rolodex, where you talked about needing 12 true fans. And I was stunned. I was like, wow, I grew up reading about the, the 100 true fans model, but now you've whittled it down to 12. And it made perfect sense because the example you used was Virgil. From an artist's perspective, you only re- really need 12 true fans. I, I look forward to the day where... With this podcast, right now I'm in the messy beginnings of it again. I feel like a beginner just stumbling my way through this. But I look forward to the day when the amount of time, energy, and attention required to do this at the level that I want to do it has been reduced down to the essence of 12 true fans, where there's just 12 listeners who love this podcast so much that they listen to it on repeat, whatever that looks like for the podcast. What was the inspiration for, uh, well, two questions for you on, on the note of the blog post. Where did you get the idea for the 12 true fans and and how is that playing out in your world right now? So that's question number one. So for sure, like great prompt, by the way. Yeah. I mean, thanks so much. So, I mean, I might need to update, update the book soon, right? Like, um, 
but the the whole idea came from so the idea there is basically hey you might need i don't know six twelve however many people and and the, the example in the blog post was like hey if you're a visual artist you need what like one dealer six collectors and maybe a couple of critics and then a couple of handlers and that's pretty much it right like yeah. You don't need more than that. The collectors will buy all your work and so on and so forth and they'll hold it. And then, you know, critics will write good reviews about your work and your val the, the value of your work will appreciate. Oh, and a couple of gallery owners. So then they'll display your work and then maybe you'll, they'll find new people to buy or they'll just mm -hmm. sell it to the same collectors. So if we extrapolated that, maybe applied it to, let's say, um, a, an author's career, right? It's like, okay, cool. You might need really like, a traditional author's career, you need a publisher. So like maybe a, like a, a person you work with on the publishing team, right? A CEO there or a, an acquisitions person or an editor or whatever, one person from there, at least. Then you'll need um, a, I would say maybe a publicist, right? Would be a good idea. Then like probably a handful of journalists you should know. And then maybe like a handful of other writers that'll help you promote and that you can also support each other yeah mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you know i mean the writing business model is different oh and, and the speaking agent right that that also yep. really yep. helps and so and so at the end of the day that's pretty much it right like sure you can have the direct consumer data which is helpful and valuable in its own way but you don't need much more than those 10 first people um i mentioned to be a part of what you do in order to make it happen and so the counterpoint to that though is in order to find those 10 people you might need to meet like a hundred or a thousand of exactly. them to really find the ones who believe in you Refined, and so that's yeah. why the i think in the post i mentioned um this recording artist an entrepreneur his name is ryan leslie yep. and he's an advocate for making 30 phone calls a day basically mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. to some people you you knew to new people whomever it is and basically nurturing and and fostering these new connections or re reigniting old ones and and making sure that you can always remain independent, but also to retain control and freedom and to put your own team together and to be able to express yourself creatively whenever you like. So that's kind of the, the whole sense of the word. And that's what I'm keeping in mind as well as I go through the author and speaker kind of process. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. L love that. My second question related to your blog post has less to do with the post itself and more to do with the blog. The question is, uh, when are you going to trial? <laughs> when am I going I to trial? I ask because I feel like Donda ripped off your aesthetic. There's some very <laughs> strong similarities between the battleship gray and the white and the light blue of your website and the cover for the Larry Hoover free Larry Hoover concert. Who oh my bit gosh. Who? I, you can check archive.org. I've had that since. Like I think you were first, man. 20, I think you were yeah, first. Like late 2019. I mean, you know, my partner and I, this was funny. My partner, my partner was, you know, she's this really great visual artist and shout out she to basically Bernice. shout out to Bernice Spime. Um, that's a Spime, Spime, Spime on Instagram. And Phenomenal basically, work. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's a great artist. And she, I mean, side note, she just did her first solo show in Seoul. Um, wow, it's called Congrats. Every Day is a New Day. So yeah, and so 
she noticed, hey, you need a new, you like your blog is looking <laughs> like kind of, it's not looking great right now. It's hurting, I'm like, okay, cool. It's not a good first impression. <laughs> I get it. So let's find something new. And we did. I mean, we just kind of casually looked on WordPress.com, I think even just for the, mm-hmm. the standard WordPress themes. And this was the one that we came to a consensus on. Uh, I mean, we, we spent maybe like 20, 30 minutes doing it. So it's, we did search wasn't super comprehensive. But then, lo and behold, like two years later, yeah. me and you are super excited for this concert and the poster yeah. comes out. And it's like, <laughs> what the? Like I the know. It's, it's striking, man. Yeah. I feel like it's, they definitely bit your style, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's uncanny. It's, 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 Donda needs to send you a check, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, nothing would make me happier. But I'm just, I was just excited. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. You'd probably flip the opportunity. You'd be like, hey, man, instead of suing, instead of this lawsuit, what if I come and collaborate with you? Like, you would actually turn that into an opportunity. I can see that. For sure, man, for this... sure. Just sit with me for six hours, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. We'll do a book. Yeah. I and, and speaking of which, one of the first books that I ever got from you was The World According to Kanye, which I believe is in need of a, a second edition. There's been oh so God. much content generated by by our man here. But listen, man, this was absolutely wonderful. I mean, I can't thank you enough for your time, uh, your energy, these insights. I, I know I'm going to revisit this podcast time and again, and I'm really glad that we're going to transcribe it and extract the nuggets from it and share them with, with the audience. But uh, I just want to say thank you again so much for this. Uh, I, you know, I guess if I asked Drake this question on January 1st, he'd say rest. And if I asked him this question on February 14th, he'd say sex. So I got to ask you the same question. <laughs> what's next? Yeah, for sure. Um, what's next? I'm definitely, I'm still getting, getting the ideas of creative doing out there. So definitely check out creative doing. Um, you can find it on Amazon or at holloway.com slash CD. I'm blogging every day at herbertlui.net. That's herbertlui.net. And I'm available for speaking, consulting, workshops. You let me know. I'll, I'll help make your teams more creative, um, either for problem solving or for wellness or whichever you like. And we can work together on workshops. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Hamza. This was my pleasure. This is and... super fun. It was, uh, it was great to chat and catch up and great to exchange ideas. For sure, man. And, and and let me just quickly, you know, underscore something that you said over there and, and make sure that you, you have your flowers, right? Because uh, you have inspired me to unlock the next level of my career sincerely. And, you know, I hope that all of our listeners can experience the same level of inspiration that I'm feeling right now. It's truly motivating. Creative doing, uh, no word of a lie, has been an absolute revelation. It quickly jumped into my top 10 from the most galvanizing books that I've ever read. Uh, spoke to me in a timely and somehow timeless way at the same time. My, my veins are coursing with creative energy, and, and you, I believe, are a living and breathing example of the lessons contained within the book. I mean, you are the book manifested, so witnessing your success over the last decade has been deeply inspiring. You embody the maker ethos. You inspire me with the deepest confidence that I can do what I hope to do at the highest possible level happily, independently, and purposefully. So again, thank you so much for all that you do, brother. Thanks, Hamza. I really appreciate it. And the feeling Amazing. is mutual, by the way. I've been following from afar and really, really enjoying um, seeing your career develop and bloom and really see, you know, Thank following you. the commencement speeches and all of this. I was like, wow, this guy is Thank really, you, really taking it to the next level. So I'm glad that the book could play a small part of that. And I'm really excited to see what's next for you. Likewise, brother. Likewise. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, You can listen to more episodes at iiapodcast.com. Thank you, and we're out.